to leave things on a down note. So I'm going to swing the spectrum completely to the other side today as we prepare to come before the Lord's throne. And uh, today I want to encourage us to, to come before the Lord with joy. We typically talk about joy at Christmas time, right? But I think joy is something God wants us to experience throughout the entire year and to experience no matter what our circumstances might be. I want to read a psalm to you or a portion of a psalm. Uh, that David wrote, Psalm 51. This is David's great prayer of repentance after the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and then the killing of her husband, Uriah. And he said to God, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. He's praying for salvation, praying for the forgiveness of sins. And with the realization of God's grace and God's forgiveness, he said, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. So there might be a time in life where we kind of feel like God's breaking our bones, but those bones can rejoice. So today I want us to just celebrate with one another as we remember that sorrow may come for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So I have a question for you. How has God produced joy in your life? I want you to think of something in the past or maybe just recent days and how you've seen God do something, and you go, that has given me joy. Or, here's another question, how are you anticipating God bringing joy into your life? What are you hoping for that God can bring into your life where the bones that have been broken be able to... All right, so who... Oh, I need a runner, don't I? Thank you, Evan. So we rejoice as Evan runs the mic around. Who would like to start us off? What is a sample of joy? Because when you share your joy, we get to share it with you. It says that the Christians, that what we should be doing is rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay. I like to walk around the neighborhood. And, of course, the trees are beautiful now. The other morning I saw three deer. Okay, just walking in the beauty of God's creation and seeing the deer and the things like that can bring Joy. Thank you, Judy, for sharing that. Right. Good morning. I'm Mary. I just wanted to say that I'm joyful because Friday we went to Carrie's um, uncle's funeral, and he is no longer hurting. He's got his memory back. Okay. So yeah, even in you know the. This is strange. Christians were so weird because even in death, there's a way to find joy because of the hope that God brings beyond this lifetime. Right? Anybody else? You just walked right by Chris. <laughs> so I'm Logan. Um, we, uh, a lot of the joy in the last few years for me was moving back here and being able to be part of stuff again. Um, when we lived in Iowa, I did nothing. I had no friends, nothing. And being out here, I got to, you know, hang out with people, be around my family, uh, be involved with camp again. Uh, and I get to actually start coaching wrestling coming up here in a couple of weeks and just being able to be back involved in stuff I love and the people I love and actually have that ability, and that chance. That's awesome. Thanks, Logan. Hi, I'm Chris. 
Hey, Chris. Um, with that whole wedding thing coming up on Saturday, um, Heather and I have both been reflecting a lot on just, I would say, two years of was very hard um, relationship work. Um, and, yeah, just some really hard stuff that we worked through and getting to see now just the joy and um, grace and um, what God has provided, what comes after that hard work. Awesome. Exciting. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you know, sometimes it is toil and struggle, it seems like, in life, but it produces something. Benjamin. Um, this has been a really good weekend. So uh, I'm from Oklahoma, so I don't get to see my family a lot, but my dad and my grandma were up this weekend, so I got to see them at the same time as having my fiance in town. So he's from Pennsylvania, so I don't get to see her. Um, yeah, the Lord has just blessed me, and let me have a good family. It's great to see how your face lights up. That that spreads joy to everybody else. Uh, for me this year, there's been a lot of joy in getting to have more connections here, God's people after moving from Georgia and not knowing anyone coming here. Uh, so that's been been really cool for me, and also just peace. God's peace is really really cool. A really great sense of and all the things that go on in a school year, uh, cross-country season, the chaos of a lot of things, of peace. Joy in the midst of chaos. Janice here, and of course, is that I have the uh, ability to communicate with family, safe and sound, is in the morning joy when I see around what I've done. Uh, in, and they came out from middle of, in, from the middle of it. And another one, I, I love to um, study Bible myself. And um, I found the book, uh, Names of God. And that's, I was studying a long time ago in Ukraine. And bring me joy to see God's character. Uh, studying of uh, his uh, joy in seeing God's character. Wow, that's a good one. Thank you. That kind of conviction. And, and again, maybe there's some anticipated joy. Maybe you're waiting for God to deliver. I am Sally. And as Chris and Heather are just going to be starting out their marriage, marriage next Saturday, this Saturday, Ray and I will that same day be celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary. And that is a very joyful thing. You guys try to steal their anniversary? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good date. My name is Carol, and we are so excited that we are going to be able to see all our grandchildren this fall. We have not seen two of our children for over a year. So we're just really rejoicing with the fact that we're going to be able to spend time with them. I feel pretty spoiled. I got my grandkids right here. I mean, they come to church with me and everything, and every time Rowan smiles, that's joy. There's something about seeing little guy like that just instantly smile so joy is a contagious thing i hope i hope we're catching it here this morning one of the things that uh i'm mark 
Uh, this came up to mind. I'm not sure why, but as soon as you mentioned it, it came to mind. Um, our youngest, when she was uh, still unborn, had all kinds of issues, and the doctors were real concerned. And they kind of suggested abortion, which we weren't going to do. But uh, she's healthy, strong, has her own family now, and she is such a joy to us. Uh, I'm not sure why I was mm. supposed to share it. but Mark? Great to see your love for. So, Axel, unfortunately, no, I'm kidding. Um, I I wanted to share something that I guess we'll say came to me in a dream last night. Um, as a lot of you know, that I've been having problems with my oldest son. I haven't really been seeing him communicating or anything. But I don't know if it was God or who it was that reached out in my dreams last night and made me believe that everything he's gonna he's gonna reach out. Hey Dad, I'm sorry. Sorry for hurting you. Sorry for the hurting that I have because and it's it kinda gives me a little bit of hope moving forward. So kinda one of the very few things I'm grateful for. Hi, I'm Josh. Um, January cannot get here uh, soon enough. A uh, little little Porto will be here. Um, just yeah, anticipating that. You know, it's funny. I I never wanted to be a dad. In fact, I struggled against it a very long time. And now that I'm gonna have two beautiful little girls, I don't think anything brings me more joy than that. So. <laughs> yeah, well done, and and Josh, you're a great dad. It's fantastic. Mother, girl, can't wait to see you do double duty. <laughs> okay, so you know, and and you kind of alluded to it, and then with the last two being anticipated joys, sort of thing, and faith is required, you know, and hope that that sort of thing. That and and I think it's good to remind ourselves that when we talk about joy, there's still some really tough stuff in life. Some hard things. I mean, we're talking about joy, and uh, Israel has been struggling in the past week, and that's a conflict. There's not a fun thing at all. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's something I struggle with because uh, happiness is circumstantial, but joy doesn't have to be. And I, I, I that's elusive to me. And so I want to learn how to experience joy, um, even when the circumstances might not be producing joy. And, and I know in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says of our Savior that he endured the shame of the cross. And, and I can't think of anything worse than that. I, can't, I cannot imagine something worse than being sinless, uh, the author of life, and going to become sin and die. Uh, and, and he was willing to face the shame of the cross, we're told in Hebrews 12, 2, joy. That was set before him, anticipated joy, something that was going to come, result of that. And uh, this is the thing that staggers me the most, is that his joy is me and you. That's what kept him steadfast, his mission. So I think it's a real good thing for us to be able to identify 
our joy. And one of the things I was picking up here as we were sharing these things is that uh, one another, a lot of you are one another's joy. And I think it's good for us to recount that and remember that. Thank God for bringing us together various stages of life. So praise and thanksgiving lead to celebration. And that's what I wanted this time to be, was just a time of celebration as we come before the Lord's throne. Today, I'm going to ask if you would permit me. I want to pray for you. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God of joy. Thank you that throughout Scripture we were reminded that that you're the only source. And if we're going through life joyless, um, it must mean that somehow we're we're disconnected from you in some way. Uh, David was an example of a man separated from you because of sin. But even that wasn't enough. That your grace could could heal that brokenness, and joy could be restored, David, because of that. And and Lord and some way, when joy is restored to us, it it brings joy to you. So God, our prayer today is this, that no matter what circumstances we might be facing, if we're in difficult times today, I have a brother or a sister here that's wrestling with something. I just pray, God, that your joy would become their strength and that they would endure. God, I pray for those that uh, just feel like they've been taking hard knocks in life. That, God, you would become their shield and you would become their safe place, their refuge. And that as they come to you, Lord, they they begin to get that glimmer of, of joy and uh, hope and peace and grace. So many other things that are mentioned. So, Lord, would you bless these, my brothers and sisters at Common Ground, with your unsurpassable, amazing joy. Would you wash over us through your spirit and produce that fruit in our lives? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to remind you, too, that if there's a request, a specific request that you would like us to be praying for, uh, please fill out a card, drop it in the box there, or come and see Evan or myself or, uh, or our Tim or Joey. Justin's not here today. Uh, see our elders or just turn to one another and make sure you pray uh, before you leave this place. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Hey, thank you for leading that time and thank you, everyone, um, for leaning into it and for participating. Uh, let's talk about Jesus now. Deal? Okay. So, what we have been doing over the last few weeks, I think it's been over a month now, is we're going through a series where we are looking at a certain selection of statements that Jesus made where all throughout the gospel, you know, Jesus did a lot. um, And between Christmas and the cross, um, he was in the middle of doing a lot and explaining spiritually, like all that he is going to accomplish on the cross. And so we've been looking through a bunch of these different statements that Jesus has made about his purpose. Um, And some of that is going to be really applicable to us where we're just going to be able to look at that and see how Jesus is calling us as his followers to, to do those same works. And some of it is just going to be us taking a step back Thank, thank you, praising God, and just receiving that joy. Um, and today we're going to look at three different statements um, that Jesus made here. And they all come in the context 
of Jesus explaining to people who he is, explaining who he is, what he came to do, and explaining also where he's going. Um, but when it comes to just getting to know someone and meeting someone, like asking you know, where they're from or what they do are pretty important questions, right? Like when you meet someone, what are the questions you usually ask? Okay, well, where are you from? You know, where'd you grow up? What do you do for work? Those kind of things. Those kind of things are pretty helpful uh, for getting to know someone. And it's pretty important to listen, right? Uh, does anyone maybe fall into the trap of meeting someone? Hi, how's it going? What's your name? And then they start talking, and you stop listening. Um, has anyone had that happen before? Uh, did anyone do that during greeting time today? Uh, confession time, great. Good. Yeah, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's confession, so that's good. Um, but this is an important thing, that if someone like tells you, hey, here's where I'm from, here's where I work, it's important to pause and to listen. And actually in the Gospels, especially with the different person who, uh, different people who are introducing themselves to us, when it comes to the Gospel, Jesus telling us about himself, pretty important, I would say. Um, it's important for us to listen. And so this should be a very important question for all of us, is what did Jesus say about himself? I and mean, when Jesus is telling us about himself, we want to be a people who listen. One of my calls to you would be, please, don't tune him out. Um, because today we're going to look at these three things that Jesus says about himself. Jesus is giving us huge clarity on who he is, what he came to do. He's answering the question where he's from. He's answering the question what he came to do, what he is doing. And he's even answering the question, where he's going. I don't know if you have that question come up in conversation, but maybe try it this week. Ask someone, where are you going in life? And really put them on the spot. Um, see where that ends up. Uh, but essentially, we're going to be looking at this. Um, and hopefully, we're going to be gaining some clarity on who Jesus is. That's really my hope today, is that I would be able to just paint a picture for you who Jesus is. Uh, because one of the th ways that we're going to do this is we're going to cover a lot of ground today. Um, we're actually going to be in two different chapters of the Gospel of John, John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. We're going to cover a lot of verses, as I said, um, but hopefully this is a chance to just get clarity on who Jesus is. Um, it's like, I don't know, has anyone had LASIK surgery in their life before? Has anyone had LASIK? Sarah, you're the only one. But LASIK is like this amazing idea where they take a laser and they burn your eye either to make it a different shape or to kind of clear off whatever is on there that has hurt your vision. And so essentially today, that's kind of what I want to do, and that's what the Gospel of John is, is I just want to like take this laser and just point it at your eye and hopefully just give you better clarity on who Jesus is. Um, and so we're going to cover a lot of that, and the hope is just to see very clearly who he is. And as you read along, so we're going to read, like I said, we're going to start in John chapter 7, um, and we're going to go through all of the way into John chapter 8. And as we read through this, I want you to just be taking mental notes. Maybe you can take actual notes with a pen. But would you be taking notes of every time Jesus is answering those questions? Where are you from? What are you doing? Where are you going? Because one of the reasons we're covering this big amount of text today is not out of like legalistic reasons we feel we have to or just because I'm trying to be cool, but because you can see how this is a conversation that Jesus is having over and over and over again. And so make notes. You have to make actual physical notes or make mental notes of all the different times Jesus is answering these questions. Here's where I'm from. Here's what I came to do. Here where I'm going. We read through that. Um, but to set the scene there, we're going to start in verse 25. John 7, verse 25. 
And the beginning of the chapter really tells us kind of what's going on. Essentially, Jesus had been teaching at the temple square. Um, it's the holiest place here. And he's teaching in the middle of the Festival of Lights, which is one of their biggest celebrations of all the year. And while the attention is supposed to be on the priests, the Pharisees, the leaders here at the temple, and the attention is supposed to be on the big spectacle that is the Festival of Lights, instead Jesus had been teaching, and all attention is on him. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are mad about it. They're saying, Jesus, it's supposed to be our big day. You're taking all of the attention, right? You're ruining our party. And they were already looking for reasons to kill Jesus. Now Jesus begins to make this festival about himself. He makes it about himself because he's answering that question of where he's from. He's answering the question of what he's doing, where he's going. He is claiming to be God here, and it's going to cause quite the conflict. So as we read, would you follow along? We're going to have the verses on the screen well. So in verse 25 of John chapter 7, at that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him. Sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So I don't know exactly how this works. They try to grab him, and it's like, break the wrist, walk away. You know, like they can't get him. He does the Jesus juke and just keeps going. And still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? People had witnessed his miracles, thinking there's no way I could do more than this. Like Jesus is proving himself. The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go to our people who live scattered amongst the Greeks? And will he teach the Greeks? And what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood, and in a loud voice, he said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, John is inserting an explanation here, by this he met the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Thank you, John. And on hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Okay, we'll just take a break here. We'll pause for a minute. Just set the scene how we have to understand that They had structured, they had organized their entire society on this idea of finding the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. Everything was centered around the idea of this conquering leader, this ruler who was going to come, and with him, they would overthrow Rome. They would get things back to the way that they used to be, and it was going to be awesome. Currently, they're living under occupation. They're waiting for this conquering Messiah. 
And what everyone is wondering is, is Jesus him? Jesus this Messiah? Are we overthrowing Rome with this guy or not? And so this is the mood, this is the goal of the crowd, and there are a lot of different voices in the crowd saying different things, right? Some are saying, like, it can't be him. He's not, like, a political leader. Um, he's not a military guy. Some are like, well, you know, he's not from the right place. He's not from um, Bethlehem in this way. He seems to be from Galilee, and he must be just doing supernatural things and preaching good sermons. And a lot of people are wondering, what do we do with him? What do we do with him? And so this is the question they're all wondering. Is Jesus this one who has come to save them or not? And Jesus makes it pretty clear. He knows that he's God. He knows that he's from God, that he's on mission from God. And he makes these bold statements whenever people wonder, like, who is this man? And he makes these statements that I'm from God, that I know God. And he makes these statements that they interpret as him saying, he's claiming to be God. That is what he's identifying as. Who is this man? And he's saying, you like God, you like me. I'm from him. I know him. So Jesus here, he's answering the question, where he's from. And it's funny because they're asking that question to try to figure out his hometown, right? They're like, hey, where did you grow up? And instead, Jesus answers, I am from God, right? God here. And it's funny because one of the reasons that they actually can't see Jesus or that they're like essentially missing him is they have a lot of misconceptions even about who the Messiah is. And so in this whole conversation, Jesus answering these questions, he's clearing out their misconceptions and trying to get them to see God's actual will. Because in verse 25, they said, you know, we all know where the Messiah will come from, right? They said, no prophet arises from Galilee. Uh, do you, does anyone know where in the Old Testament that's from? Does a prophet will arise from Galilee? Trick question, nowhere. Um, it's not actually in the Old Testament. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that no prophet will be from Galilee. In fact, it's often taught that Jonah, the prophet, came from Galilee. Um, but again, we have to remember, like, Gospels take place in real life. Um, and in real life, sometimes ideas that are not necessarily true um, can just get latched on by people. They can trickle down through society. And eventually people just kind of believe it like it's obvious fact. And here we have this misconception about the Messiah, a very simple thing that, hey, you know, we can't know where he's from, and if he's from this place, he can't be him. This has become just part of what everybody... Um, and this is something that's happening here. Um, it obviously happens to us today, right? You can think of some of the misconceptions that people latched onto. You would be shocked at how many adults I still have the conversation with about, like, how your grandma is not now an angel. Um, she did not become one um, when she died, right? You'd be shocked at how many adults still think that, or uh, how many people are still anticipating like a left-behind style rapture, right? They're anticipating that. Um, and if you're triggered by that, then I'll warn you, I think your theology is shaped by uh, pop fiction, not by the Bible. Um, but these ideas, they can percolate through society and they get latched onto. And these people, this idea that you can never know where the Messiah is from, percolated through society. And because of it, almost missing Jesus. And then one of the questions that they ask in verse 45 is also like, has anyone important actually believed in him? Seems like the crowds believe in him, but what are the smart, educated people at this point? They actually believe in him. And it's interesting because we didn't read later on in the end of chapter 7, but you'll see a certain character appear in chapter 7 um, who appeared previously in John's Gospel, a character with the name of Nicodemus, right? And Nicodemus shows up again, seemingly believing in Jesus. 
And Nicodemus was a really important high-ranking Pharisee. And so this question, hey, do any important people believe? Well, here's one. Seem to be missing Jesus. They're not seeing him very clearly. And so he's going to go on. Uh, Jump ahead to chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 21. Continue taking these notes of how Jesus is answering these questions. Where he's from, what he's doing, where he's going. Because once more, there's much more debate here. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? So I think they're being a little sarcastic and rude at this point. But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you don't believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand what he was telling them about his father. And so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed. So pause there. We're going to just really fly through verses 31 through 59 here, because it's continually more of the same conversation where Jesus tells them, says, hey, I'm the truth. If you believe in me, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And they're continuing to kind of mix up the spiritual with the physical. And so when he says the truth will set you free, Instead of seeing that for the spiritual reality it is, they get really triggered and offended. And they say, no, like we've never been slaves to anybody and we never will be. It's really bad history for people who are at a festival in celebration of being freed from slavery. Um, And so it gets really heated. Um, Jesus tells them, you claim to be God's kids, but you are not acting like it. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. And then they get mad at that, of course. And then Jesus claims to be outside of time. He claims to know their ancestors personally. He's like, hey, I know Abraham. Um, And he says this. They, in response to that, say, well, you must be possessed by a demon. Because usually people who say that they're outside of space-time, like, are a little crazy. Um, But then Jesus says, no, like, even your great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, who's your biggest brag, he agrees. He knows me, right? He's in agreement that you guys are not acting in faith like children of God. Instead, he's like, you guys are a bunch of little whiny babies in Satan's nursery, right? And you're actually accomplishing the works of the evil one, not the works of the father. In which case, if you think I'm exaggerating how bad it gets, read the end of that chapter. They insult Mother Mary. Um, They continue to say he's possessed by a demon. They they even turn to like calling him some racial slurs. Um, And then they keep bringing up how he doesn't know his dad. And chapter eight ends with everybody essentially picking up rocks in order to kill Jesus. No trial, no judge. They want to smash his head in, in the middle of this church service, in the middle of this big festival. In verse 59, it says, At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So this, this story is kind of nuts. <laughs> it's, it's quite the conflict here. Jesus making this declaration, identifying who he is, results. And just so much 
intense backlash. Jesus says, this is who I am. They weren't seeing it. They were not seeing Jesus clearly. Um, and the thing that they wrestled most with, and the reason that they wanted to put him to death, because Jesus was claiming to be God. He was saying, I am God. Something that they saw as illegal, blasphemous, something he cannot do. They were failing to see Jesus as God. So just the reason that he is identifying himself in this way, the reason that he's not just answering his hometown, because he's making this grand statement. I'm not even going to tell you about the hometown situation because you guys don't understand how that theology works anyway, he's saying, right? You've got all these misconceptions. But he's saying, beyond that, I'm from the Father. This is what you should know. You don't need to know where I'm from. I'm God. I made it all. This is one of the first things that we have to see when we just look at these chapters. Jesus' claim to be God. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And this is one thing that people do continue to struggle with today, right? It can be really easy, depending on the like circle of Christianity you're in, that some people really emphasize like only his divinity and kind of forget about his humanity. But it is increasingly common for people to just emphasize humanity and to really minimize it to the point that Jesus was just a really nice, you know, Jewish hippie, uh, and to forget that he is actually God, right? Fully God, fully man. I think someone has, people have said the word Christmas like three times already today. That's like on everybody's mind, right? And one of the things that we are reminded of every year when we celebrate Christmas is the virgin birth, that Jesus was, you know, maybe he wasn't, well, and see, this is where when you start talking about uh, the incarnation, you get really close to accidentally saying heresy. Um, but essentially, right, because of the virgin birth, right, in Mary's womb, Holy Spirit conceived child. He comes out absolutely human, absolutely divine, still the God of the universe. This is a tricky thing for a lot of people to comprehend, but it is foundational to our faith. Jesus being God. And some of us it might seem like, okay, yeah, that's obvious. We're on board with that, but I think it's really important that we continue to understand it and to not have these misconceptions like these people did at this time. Because Jesus, his humanity was never without his divinity, but his divinity was never without his humanity. That he is God. This man that we're reading about here was, is God. And so I just want to continue to help us to see what exactly this means. And so Wayne Grudem, um, as a theologian, said, if you want, I can uh, send you a document of a book in person. It's about that thick, and I have the whole PDF that I'd love to send you, and you can read through um, what exactly it means, because theologians have taken great pains to clarify what exactly this means, because this is what all of our faith hangs on, is Jesus being God. And he gives a pretty good definition. He says, Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person, and will be so for eternity. And this is something that the church has had to really hammer down over and over again, that this is the one thing that all of what we do hangs on. And so one of the ways that the church has had to fight this is throughout the years, you've probably heard of the creeds, right? Um, in kind of the first four or five centuries, all of the Christians had to come together and they had to combat these bad ideas that were taught about Jesus. And they had to formulate these statements, these creeds, on exactly what we believe about Jesus. Because a lot of people couldn't see clearly that he was God. And so some of the creeds, I would just encourage you, because they were written, you know, by dead people, they're public domain. You can just Google things like the Nicene Creed. And you have Christians hundreds of years ago laying it out. This is what we must believe. That we must believe Jesus Christ is truly God, truly human, 
one person into natures, begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. And you can read, it's much longer than that, but it just lays out each member of the Trinity. How exactly it works. What exactly we believe about there being a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit. Are they equal? Can we, like, worship all of them? Nicene Creed lays it out beautifully. Google it. Read it this week. Great time. Another one. That this is kind of my uh, summation of it, but the Chalcedonian Creed, that there are two natures, divine, human, in one person, we call Jesus. And what they are keying into is the language that we get from Colossians chapter 1, which says this, that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For God was pleased to have all his fullness well. So this, this is who Jesus is. They were having a hard time seeing it. He's identified himself. You see, Jesus had to be God and fully man for a variety of reasons. Read about that four inch thick book that Crudum wrote. But one of the reasons that he had to be God and human is he had to be human because he had to represent us. Adam sinned, mankind was guilty of sin. And so for someone to represent that guilt would only be just for then man to be tried for that. For man be done with that. That he came as the second Adam to do what the first Adam didn't do. First Adam caused this issue. Now a second Adam is going to have to come start over for humanity. But one of the reasons that they had such a struggle with Jesus claiming to be God in that time was again on some of the misconceptions they had on what the Messiah was going to do or what even humans can do. Because one of the things that you see all throughout the Old Testament is it is abundantly clear in the Old Testament that salvation comes from God alone, right? That if there was going to be salvation, if there was going to be help for mankind, it can't actually come from mankind, right? Uh, that all of the best men, all the best humans throughout history have really only ever caused sin. They've never done away with it. And this is one of the reasons that they missed Jesus' claims to be God and why they were so offended by that, that they didn't think the Messiah was going to be God because they thought, honestly, this is probably something that one of us will be able to do, be able to bring salvation. And it was kind of that elevated view of humanity and undervalued view of sin to think, yeah, salvation can come from a human. And it doesn't take long to read through the Old Testament to see, like, no, salvation comes only from God. So there's this prediction that the Messiah will come. He's going to be human. He's going to bring salvation. Salvation comes from only God alone. Right? God is going to have to come to give us a way of escape. So this statement that Jesus is making, that he is from triune God, him saying that he's the one who's able to actually do something about our predicament, about our problem that we face with sin. Because to say that he is from God, he's a member of the Trinity, means he's not going to deal with sin the way that people have dealt with sin, add to it. He came from the Father, he came from the Son, he came from the Holy Spirit. He is he's part of the Trinity, which means that Jesus 
he's here in this conflict, broken relationships of everybody wanted to smash his head in. He is from the perfect relationship. He is from perfect love, perfect peace, from perfection itself. I came from perfect justice, goodness. He is from the Father who in Exodus 34 said to be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, sin. Where Jesus is from is who is from. So when Jesus says, I'm from the Father, you don't know him like I do. Like, well, yeah, you're right, Jesus. You are God. I don't know what perfect love, perfect righteousness, perfect justice why he's emphasizing over and over again. I'm not just a prophet here teaching. I'm not just showing you these things. I am God. I am God. This is one thing that he was trying to make abundantly clear, and it's something that we have to be abundantly clear on as well. He talked about the creeds. They were in response, heresies that were floating around during the day. And most of the heresies throughout church history have all been about essentially Jesus' humanity. Most of them have been about minimizing Jesus as God. Like the worst ideas throughout history have always been confusing him and his divinity. And it's interesting because some of the ones that have come back today that continue to persist are things like um, there's an idea that was deemed as a heresy called Marcionism. Um, M-A-R-C-I-O-N. Marcionism. And that's the idea that Jesus and the God of the Old Testament are just like two different dudes, two different gods, completely separate. They're not in one essence right? That Jesus is the nice guy. He's awesome. He did a lot of really cool things. And then the God of the Old Testament, like, he's just rude and mean, and like, he needs a nap and a cookie, right? It's like, man, you're like really upset, you know, come back when you feel better, um, kind of thing. And people still today um, struggle with this, and they struggle with trying to divorce Jesus from the Old Testament. And no, the two different people, oh no, Jesus isn't like that. These are two separate things. And what ends up happening is a lot of people, even still today, just completely throw the Old Testament in the trash. Um, there's a very well-known, prominent pastor who just over the summer said that we need to unhitch ourselves uh, from the Old Testament. These ideas sneak back, back in. We have to look at it, and we have to say, like, you know, 1,400 years ago, the answer to this question was no, kind of still a no, um, that we don't unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. We can't actually understand the fullness of who God is how covenants, how worship of God works. We don't just throw one out and say, no, this is the only thing. God of the Old Testament are different. It's right here, Jesus is making it clear. I am God. God and I are one and the same. We are the same. And the reality is that because this is what Jesus said, and this is who he's claiming to be, he's claiming to be God, that has huge implications on how we treat his word. That if Jesus is God, then we must follow him. And that it wasn't enough to just kind of listen to his words here, to say, like, yeah, maybe he's a prophet, maybe he seems nice. But if Jesus is God, we must submit to him, we must listen to him, we must obey and to follow him. And as you see in these interactions, like, you have a wide range of how people have responded to Jesus. Um, and a lot of people seem to be pretty friendly to him, and they liked some of the things he was saying. But then as he continued pressing, a lot of people were not willing to be followers of you see this kind of clear split in these two chapters 
that you have essentially fans of Jesus and you have followers of Jesus, right? And you see fans of Jesus all throughout the Gospels because Jesus did cool stuff. He fed thousands of people with fish and loaves. But what you see at the end of that is the people were just there for the fish, just for the food. And the moment Jesus said, no, this isn't actually all about just you getting free lunch every day, that I'm going to call you to actually follow me and to submit to me as God, well, people walked away. People were seeking him for the miracles, for the healings, for what he could do. They weren't actually willing, once he claimed to be God, to go under that, right? Once he said things that they didn't agree with, they're out. Because they were looking to be fans. They weren't actually looking to submit to the God of the universe. I think we have to take a step back and recognize that many of us can start out often as fans, or we can fall into that trap of being fans of Jesus necessarily followers of we can be looking just for what he can give to us we can be looking just for where he agrees with our preconceived notions already but where he's going to challenge us where he's going to call us to to go places to do things we might not want to do right away when i think our faith our trust our commitment to him tested here these people any of them, just fans, just fans. They weren't really willing to follow. So that's why Jesus kept saying over and over again, you will look for me, won't find me. Jesus is saying the tragedy of not believing in me means that after I'm gone, you're still going to be looking for a Messiah. You're still going to be waiting for someone to save you. So look for the Messiah, the promised one, the one who's said to bring hope, healing, and salvation. And I already came. I was standing in front of you. You weren't following. He says, you know, many of you are going to clap when I'm gone, and then you're going to continue off in that search. Jesus essentially says, like, what a tragedy. He says, you're not going to follow me in this life. You're not going to follow me to the next. You're not following me now. Following me to heaven and to God's presence. I'm going this way. You like to go this way. They're like, no, I'd like to go this way. Jesus is saying, well, not the direction. You're going to look for me over there. I'm actually over here. This is a huge tragedy that still many today struggle to see. The devil has blinded the eyes of many to see falsely. How many people feel like they can just be fans of Jesus, not necessarily followers of him. Huge swaths of our planet are fans of Jesus. You take what is the second biggest religion in the entire world, Islam. And they respect Jesus. They view him as a prophet, right? Their teachers will quote many of his teachings. Or even, even though closer to home, like things like Mormonism, it's not as big globally, but still they'll cite it, they'll teach him, they'll teach a lot of his things. But at the end of the day, he's just a teacher. At the end of the day, he's just a prophet, or he's just a man who became God. They haven't taken that step to actually followers. They're just fans of him. Yeah, he had some nice things to say. Jesus here is giving this binary that you can follow me, except I'm God, or don't. Right? It's not enough just to hands here, like you will walk away. This is a tragedy of staying in that perspective that really we just can't, we can't let one another do. We can't think that you know, Jesus has some things worth considering. He had a lot of nice teachings. You know, the Western world was shaped by his morals. Things bad, murder's bad. We should care about kids. 
people. Amen. We like those ideas. Recognize where they came from. Taught them for a reason. Not just so we'd say, hey, that's cool. So that we would submit to him. Follow him. Right? Christianity is actually very easy to be fans of. A lot of people like morals. But we must also follow Jesus. God. As God. Reality is that if Jesus isn't divine and we're not following him fully, if we're just going to be fans of Jesus, church is kind of a dumb hobby, to be honest. <laughs> like if he was just a good teacher, there are so many other things that we could be doing. He's not divine. The reality is he is. <laughs> Take his teachings with us everywhere we go. We, we hang on every word that he says. We listen intently to everything he says. based everything in our lives around him. Take up Jesus' words. Follow them. Even sometimes when it feels like it messes us up a bit, it's in the way of what we want. He's God. His words are what we follow. And this is especially because of what Jesus was doing. What he was doing was he was offering to take us where he was going, right? Jesus said over and over again, right, where I'm going, you cannot come. And he's speaking to these unbelievers, saying, I'm going to heaven, going to the Father after I execute my plan, right, after the cross. And he's saying, in your state, your lack of faith, you can't come with me. If you don't believe, you're not following me now, you're not going to follow me later. Jesus says three times in this chapter what will happen instead. Or not in this chapter, but in these two chapters. Where he says three different times, you'll die in your sins. It's, come with me, or you can die in your sins. Jesus says this three times. Because we know the Apostle Paul said in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death, right? That the wages you earn with your behavior, your lifestyle, your, your investment in is one thing, and the return on that investment is sin, so if you, or is death. So if you invest sin, you're going to get back death. It's the best investment. You know exactly what you're going to get. That is what Jesus is saying. Is that, hey, we've all invested way too much sin. Results, we will get back. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, I've come to save you. Follow me and be saved. There it is, right? And so there are all these people who are saying, no, I don't want to follow. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to lay it out for you. If you don't follow, you'll die in your sins, right? If you don't believe in me, then you'll die in your sins. What are you saying? And one of the things I've heard a lot um, from a lot of friends, actually very recently, this misconception of just feeling like, you know, like God is so unfair and Jesus was so unfair for saying, have to believe in me or I'll burn you, right? Um, and Jesus clarifies here that that's a huge misconception. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. Come on with me. You'll die in your sins if, if you don't, right? People will say like, God, oh, that seems so unfair. We'll die in our sins. How lame. But think of it this way. If I offer you food, and I say, hey, you can eat this food, or you can be hungry. And you say, no, thanks, I don't want the food. Does it make a lot of sense for then you to be mad at me and say, ugh, why is that the only other option that I'd be hungry? You gave me, you, I said no to your food, and now I'm hungry, right? Like, that's the choice. You can eat food, you can remain hungry. Kind of simple there. Or if you were to go to a doctor, you get a diagnosis. Hey, here's the deal. You have, you have cancer, you're going to die in this amount of time, uh, I can treat you, and then you can be healed, if you like the treatment or not. You would have a really hard time convincing people it's the doctor's fault if you said no to the treatment. 
right? Like, well, the consequences are your consequences. Even though you didn't like the options, essentially that is what's played out. And so Jesus is telling these people, like, you can say, no, I don't have this sin problem. Um, these guys were like, yeah, we haven't been slaves to anyone. Jesus goes, okay, sure, go with that. Um, but <laughs> if you actually see the truth, I'll, I'll be over here. I have the solution for you, right? What they're saying is like, no, we don't need that. We don't want it. And then he says, well, you can't come with me. Well, why can't we go with you? You just said you don't want to come with me, in a sense. And this is the debate he's having over and over people here. I've got the solution. Believe in me, it's yours. In verse 28 of chapter 7 that we already read, he said, eventually, we're going to see, he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. You'll know that I'm he. And he's talking about being lifted up on the cross at that point. Saying, when I die for you, when I take your punishment in order to sweep away your transgressions, to remember your sins no more, to pay your debt, to restore your relationship with God, Thing. It's going to be a time your eyes are opened. Saying, follow me now. Follow me now. Because I've come from God. Not on my own. God sent me for this work. God sent me to offer salvation. One of the kind of pro tips to take whenever you're reading kind of long narratives like this um, is always look in the same books for maybe some simple explanations of it. Like this is two chapters, John 7 and 8, where it's like a lot of different things are said. And there are some kind of things you can look at to know where to link back to. One of them is the appearance of Nicodemus at the end of the chapter. And we're, we're remembered of some similar things that Jesus taught like this. Way back when Jesus hung out with Nicodemus last, John chapter 3, he, when John essentially boiled down everything that Jesus was teaching, Jesus taught here in John 3.16, and he said, God so loved the world, sent his only begotten son, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. That verse is just exactly what Jesus is telling the people here. Exactly the conversation he's repeating. These people who are screaming at him, threatening to kill him. But yet still Jesus persists. Still just persists in saying, who I am. I'm here to offer your salvation. I'm here to save you. I'm here to call you to believe. He continues to explain. And I think if you see anything in the, these two chapters we read, Jesus is persistent, his patience with people. Over and over, John seems frustrated. He says, they still didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Jesus explains again. This is one of the ways that Jesus interacts with us over and over again. Just patient, persistent. Reminders. He's going to tell us another way. He's going to teach us another way. He's going to bring others to explain it another way. Jesus is constantly pulling us to faith in him. Pulling us to faith. Giving us chance for chance after chance. And again, we've just read a bunch of text here. I don't have like three points, seven things for you to do about this this week. I don't have those applications for you. My hope is just to give you the story who Jesus is. Creator of the world who comes to us, talks planet Earth, claims to be God, does miracles, gives us all these signs and all these glimpses of God, and he comes back from the dead. 
gives this offer. The question on us is, how are we going to respond? And so for believers, my hope for you is that you would just have this vision of Jesus recaptured in your heart and mind. And that you would just recapture that Jesus is God. Would that just be reminded to you, solidified of you, and would you never grow tired of hearing that? Seeing the goodness of the simple gospel in that way. Maybe you're here and you think, well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. For you, this is going to be a point in which I just want to tell you that Jesus is someone you have to make a decision on. Someone you have to make a decision on. Maybe you're a rational person and you're thinking like, well, of course there must be a God, but I'm just not sure. Like I like the idea of a God. A lot of people do. Well, a lot of people can have very kind of, I guess, waffly ideas of that, and you can kind of hang on to that loosely. You can't hang on to Jesus. It kind of says here. With me? Not. So for you, would you just really consider, is Jesus God or not? Really think he conquered the grave? Claim to be. Maybe you are kind of in between. You're like, well, yeah, like, leave a lot of it. There's still stuff I'm wrestling with. But would your prayer be what the disciples prayed to Jesus or asked of him? And they said, God, we believe. Help my unbelief. Like, I see who you are, but still wrestling. Is that for you? I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Help me to see you clear. My hope is that we would just be able to shine this laser that the Gospel of John is on you. See the story, who Jesus is, who he has claimed to be. That in light of that, put on us now, how are you going to respond? Said that he is God. Come to offer salvation. Take us with him. That's the response. Now, I'm going to invite the team back. You pray, we end in worship. So would you please bow your heads? Father God, we thank you for sending your son. Uh, We just see, we see ourselves in this story so much of believing little misconceptions about who you are because they easier for us to swallow, because we like it better, God. Um, We just repent of that, and we just ask that you, through the power of your spirit, would just Rid us of those. I mean, God, we just recognize that in our sinful humanity, we just have a hard time seeing you. So would you just scrape off our eyes? And would you open the eyes of many of us? Or would you, those of us who committed to following you, would you just focus our eyes on you? That we would be a people who see you for who you are. We thank you. That we were blind, but now we see. God. We get a picture of who Jesus is. And so we submit to that. We thank you for not sending another prophet, another human who would just teach us things to do. But you came, lived with us yourself, did all the work for us. We just pause and we thank you for that. And we recognize just how beautiful and how great it is. So God, as we go into this time now, you help our unbelief. Help us to see who you are clearly. And we commit to being people who, anytime we see you, just worship you and praise you. So we we do that now. We just turn to you. So Jesus, we love you. In your name that we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? Good today with worship.
ground as you go today, you go with the words Second Peter chapter 3. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless people and fall from your secure position, but may you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, grace and peace, Common Ground. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful week.